You just made a very intelligent decision deciding to join us in the trenches with Dave Lapham brought to you by First Star Logistics because our special guest in studio today, Jerry Sandusky. How about that? He's not in our studio. We're in our studios and we're glad to be in our studios. We'll be catching up with Jerry Sandusky from Baltimore talking about the big playoff game. Bengals, Ravens, two weeks in a row. Bengals, Ravens, a lot of things to discuss. Jerry Sandusky knows it all. You're going to enjoy it. We appreciate you joining us in the trenches with Dave Lapham, brought to you by First Star Logistics once again. And as always, coming to you from our outstanding studios. And as always, we have an outstanding guest. Not just outstanding, but extraordinary. This guy, this guy is as good as there is in his profession. He does all kinds of media work in Baltimore, not just Ravens play by play. That is one of many things that this talented man is involved with from a communication standpoint. We are joined by the icon, Jerry Sandusky. How are you, sir? Awesome, buddy. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. Well, that was a crazy game, wasn't it? <laughs> you know what? It always that's the thing. Like, okay, it's 24 7. It looks like a blowout. It, you know, it, you're, you're extrapolating your head. Oh my God, is this going to be a 48 14? But it's a division game. It never is. For whatever reason, somehow these things always get closer. We saw two weeks ago with the Ravens and the Steelers. It looked like the Ravens were going to run away with it. And the Steelers come back and win. It's just that's the beauty of a division game. You just never know which way it's going to turn. And, and really, I mean, the Bengals, for example, this year. They lose the first three division games, 0-3 in the division. They win the last three to go 3-3. Three and three. They're 9-1 and one against everybody else. It's, yep. it's a testament to how tough this division is. I mean, I think that when you qualify for the playoffs, having gone through a schedule that includes, you know, the division opponents and, and good opponents, you're, you're tested. You're battle-tested. You're ready to roll in the playoffs. Yep. Look, three out of four teams have winning records. The Browns just barely below you know, 500. They didn't have their starting quarterback most of the season in Deshaun Watson. And so right. and there aren't, I went back and looked at every division game the Ravens played. There's no there's no easy games. I mean, there's no easy wins. The, the one thing about this division over the years, there's no homecoming game. Right. Cleveland has not been wildly competitive. I get that. But I went back and looked at all the Ravens games against the Browns. They're always five points, three points, two points. The Browns, you know, Ravens might be a 10-point favorite, but it's a two-point outcome. It's just it's just the nature of the beast. Plus, you know, don't underestimate either, Dave, the fact that these are all bad weather towns. Yep. So you get November, December, and weather's a factor. Everybody's got the outdoor stadiums, bad weather towns. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's old rock'em, rock sock'em, slobber knocker time. I'm oh, telling you. You know, like as an old offensive lineman, you got to love that, right? Oh, big time. High high wind, all of a sudden the quarterback can't quite sling it 40 yards to the sideline. The kicker can't hit from 59. So somebody's got to get the job done. And it's usually the what Keith Jackson used to call them the big uglies. Oh, my, the big uglies. <laughs> There's no question about it. Okay, well, everybody here in Cincinnati, the biggest thing is, is Lamar Jackson going to play for the Baltimore Ravens? And, you know, John Harbaugh in his most recent presser, Basically said, you know, I don't know. So I guess nobody really knows at this juncture, correct? Yeah, not, and not to bring up a metaphor that's probably irritating to the good folks of Cincinnati, but right now it looks like it's a coin toss. I mean, it could go either way. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 50-50, I would say, at this point, because John Harbaugh hopes Lamar plays. Obviously, everybody in Ravens Nation hopes Lamar plays, but 
they were hoping he'd play week 17 against Pittsburgh. So, you know, the, the one thing with the human body is it heals when it heals. And so if he's ready, he'll play. If, if he's not, oh, it's a different story altogether. Do you think there's anything to, oh, well, it's a contractual power play, you know? And I mean, the fact that he showed up and played and played, do you think there's anything to that or, or what do you think? Look, Dave, if if I if there really was something to the contractual part, and, and human nature says there could be, obviously, but right. if that had been the case, wouldn't he have held out at the start of the season? Or wouldn't he have held out of training camp? I mean, Lamar, to his credit, from the start of the day where he said, okay, negotiations are over now until after the season, he hasn't brought it up. He hasn't he hasn't back channeled it. He hasn't whispered it to anybody. He hasn't talked to his teammates about it. So for him to bring it up at this point in the season, just it doesn't fit with what he has done the entire way through. So, no, I think this is strictly a physiological knee issue that he wants to be 100% ready to go. Now, that's for a regular season game. Would Lamar play at 80%, 70%? I would think so because he's wildly competitive. And if you look at the Ravens team with Lamar, pretty good team. This is a team that could make a nice long run. And he sees that he's been here before, so I just I just don't see this having any impact on the contract because if that were the case, it undermines the entire relationship. And how do you resume talks after the season? So, you know, my my, my gut is no. This is this is body. This is not contract. And and hasn't the contract been on the table the whole season? I mean, the Ravens never took it off the table, did they? Not, not that I know of, but what came off the table was Lamar set a date very late in training camp, just before the last preseason game. He said, all right, if we don't have a deal done from this date forward, we're not going to talk about the contract until after the season. So whether it's on the table or off the table is irrelevant. It's the same deal that Lamar didn't want to do in August. So I, you know, he, he's not going to look at that until after the season. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Lamar opened up the first quarter of the season MVP caliber. He was lighting yeah. it up. He was. But then it was a downhill performance by Lamar, and not just because of Lamar. Then you lose Rashad Bateman. And the difference between Lamar's quarterback rating, which was like 101 with Bateman, and then about 70 without Bateman, was, was staggering. So he loses his number one receiver. The offense starts to sputter a little bit, and then he gets hurt. So does he go into the offseason with more or less leverage? And he's representing himself. To me, that's why you have an agent because you you kind of need somebody to help spin the narrative to your to your favor, which is hard to do when you when you're the guy who's playing and negotiating. Yeah, I mean that that is that's you you like to have a buffer in there in there somewhere. There there, there are no two ways about that. You, you look at it though. I mean, worst case scenario, he's looking at uh, if he's franchise tag, what forty seven, forty eight million bucks or whatever the, whatever the heck yeah. it is. I mean. I guess he wants one one penny more than Deshaun Watson, right? He wants it all guaranteed. Isn't that where he is? And then the, I know the Ravens have made him an extremely generous offer, obviously. Right. I, it, you're talking about stratospheric numbers here. I mean, no matter what, the dude is a, a – he's, he's taking care of his family for generations. Um, but, you know, everybody wants to maximize their opportunity, and you only get very few chances to do that. And when you get a knee injury like he got this year, it underscores from his perspective, I would imagine, how fragile time can be in the NFL. I mean, eventually time either wears you down or injuries wear you out. And that's why players all want guarantees. I understand that from the player's perspective. But the issue is this, is the Russell Wilson deal 
the standard benchmark or is it the Deshaun Watson deal? The Ravens right. say the Deshaun Watson deal doesn't count because the Browns had extenuating circumstances. They had to overpay at a premium to get Deshaun Watson to go to Cleveland when he could have gone to Carolina or some other places. And that that deal is just off the books and it's not really the benchmark. They say the Russell Wilson deal is more the benchmark and the difference is the guarantee. But right. Dave, to, to, to your point, from a financial standpoint, and I'm not a you know a financial planner, but I've enough common sense. If you have a hundred and say thirty, thirty million dollar, thirty-five million dollar guarantee versus a two hundred and thirty million dollar guarantee, what can you buy with two hundred and thirty million dollars that you can't <laughs> buy with hundred and thirty million dollars? It's to me, it's the competitive nature. Yeah. What it takes, you know, you played in this league and you were around the guys who played this league. And one of the things that separates guys who make it in the NFL and guys who don't quite make it is they're so competitive about everything. Right. You want to have breakfast? I'll compete with you over breakfast. You want to play right. cards? I'm going to play to win. You, you want to work out? I'm, I'm going to make you throw up because it's, it's a competition. So they view contracts the same way. It's not just, wow, I'm financially set for four generations. It becomes, wait a second, he's got a faster 40 time than me and he makes more money? Uh-uh, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to work on my speed and I'm going to make more money. And that's that's what gets guys to this level but it gets them sometimes in trouble when it comes to the money because, guys, there's no other profession where a 25-year-old guy can make $130 million guaranteed unless you're yeah. the CEO of some you know, gigantic international conglomerate. And those CEOs aren't usually 25 years old. Very true. Very true. So, I mean, he hasn't played in, what, five weeks? In the five weeks. Five hasn't weeks. practiced in a month. Hasn't practiced a month. Is he doing any throwing? Do you know, Jerry? I don't know because we don't see him. Yeah. I know he's working with, with the trainers. John Harbaugh said that at the start of the week he was out on the field with the trainers. So I don't know if he's just doing leg work, conditioning, or if he's throwing. i got to believe he's doing some throwing right? because you don't want to just sit and have the arm rest and rust for a month. And even right. with the knee, look, there's enough exercise. You see quarterbacks throwing from chairs. You, sure. can, you can stationary throwing. I, I've got to believe he's he's throwing as much as he can to stay as sharp as possible. So if there's, I, I'm, I'm assuming the same thing, but over that five week period, uh, plus, you know, five weeks plus, because, you know, the game, I guess we'll find out if he's going to be practicing here pretty soon. Uh, we're doing this podcast, uh, video cast before the week of practice, uh, unfolds, but man, rust and dust and all that. Now you've got a guy who's the former league MVP who quick twitch doesn't even describe his twitch. It might be the quickest I've ever seen, particularly at that quarterback position. When, I, I mean, our, our coaches always say, look, when he's out in the field, he's the best athlete there is out in the football field. This dude's yeah. the best athlete. So a guy like that, is there a rust and dust factor? Or do you think, okay, well, boy, he didn't even play the last five weeks of the race. Now it's the playoffs and the adrenaline flows and everybody, if you're quick, you're quicker. If you're fast, you're faster. Is there any worry that, you know, it might be a little bit of time. It might take a, a bit before he is back in the flow. Yeah, I, th I think there has to be a concern, but it's, it's a combination of rust and rest. So from what Lamar does by himself as a superior athlete, I think the rest benefits him. His legs should be fresh. His body's going to be fresh. And as long as his knee's healthy, boy, he's going to be a handful if he gets outside of the pocket Ooh. when it's just him. But that's when it's just him. Football is a team game. So when you think about... The, the ball skills of the read option, the timing that's involved in that. Lamar's really talented, but you work on that every single day in practice. You don't work on that for a month. That's where rust comes into play. 
He's right. going to be throwing to some targets now that weren't targets when he was last playing. Sammy Watkins wasn't on this team. Rookie tight end Charlie Kohler wasn't active yet. So you've got guys that aren't really on the same page as Lamar. So that's where, to me, anytime he's interacting, whether it's the run game or the passing game with another player, then rust is a factor. Anytime it's just Lamar with the ball, then rest is the factor. Great. I mean, that just sums up in a nutshell. And only my man Jerry Sandusky can do that. <laughs> that 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 makes too much sense. It's unbelievable. Okay, so any truth to the rumor that Lamar hasn't been rehabbing hard enough? I mean, is is the club uh, satisfied with the effort that he's put into the rehabilitation? Yeah, John Harbaugh said at the start of this week he was very satisfied that Lamar's working extremely hard, that he loves his approach. His attitude's been great. He's been working really hard. You know, at the end of the day, ligaments are are those things that, you know, they heal when they heal. Yeah, you know, We've seen that with so many players over the years where you thought this is a three-week and it becomes a nine-week. This is a this is a day-to-day and it becomes a two-month. With Lamar, the sprained PCL is usually a one-to-four. Well, for him, it's been five weeks. It doesn't mean he's not working hard enough. It just might mean it's more bruised than they initially thought. Right. There's that shade of gray. But I don't think the work ethic, I don't think the intention, I don't think the focus on Lamar is any issue at all. I think what it is is a bunch of people, myself included, standing on the sidelines looking and wondering, is that thing going to heal before the playoffs? And all of us who love this game, our lives revolve around the, the weekly schedule and really revolve around the playoffs. And last I checked, ligaments just don't care about the calendar. <laughs> That's very true. No question about it. Okay, so you look at the at the Ravens, even with resting the players that they rested, and it turned out to be a good move. Because the Bengals, obviously, they lose Kappa. You know, I mean, they, they have a significant loss there. And a couple of other guys get beaten up and knocked around a little bit that are significant, you know, uh, weapons and factors in, uh, in in the football game. The fact that uh, players, I guess my question is, is John Harbour and everybody affiliated with the organization, in hindsight and retrospect, good with the decision to rest guys? Harbaugh said he was because he said the rest was based on where he thought guys were physically at that point, knowing what would be demanded of them physically going into the playoffs. If the Ravens had not clinched a playoff spot going into week 18, I think he would have seen a very different roster. But knowing that you had a clinch, now the question becomes, all right, if this guy's not fully where we want him to be, is it worth the risk for a coin toss? Is it, you know, look, everybody wants the home playoff game and you got it and you and you earned it. And that's a big deal. But knowing you're going to play the next week when a guy might not be right where he needs to be, that's the risk reward. And in hindsight, I think you're right. I think I think they erred on the right side with J.K. Dobbins, who has played four weeks since knee surgery and coming back from that. Mark Andrews, who's had some some nicks and, and some bruises. Kevin Zeitler has been banged up a little bit, missed a game earlier in the season. So now you get you bring those guys back and you come in with the return of the veterans fresh bodies. And here's the other thing I like about it. In a division game, Dave, where everybody knows each other so well, yeah. when you have to face Mark Andrews this week and you haven't seen him since week five, that's different than facing him this week when you saw him seven days ago. That's a good point. And, and you know, um, one thing about the Ravens, their DNA remains their DNA. I mean, they run it. They stop the run. Once they run it, they're going to play action pass. And Mark Andrews, obviously, is the big target. But in his absence in this game, likely targeted 13 times, eight catches, 103 yards. 
Kohler, six targets, four catches, 49. 19 targets, 12 catches, 152 yards. The tight end is a huge factor in the offense. Even though Andrews isn't there, it's still a huge factor in the offense. That defense is as good as there is in the league. The Baltimore Ravens are going to do what the Baltimore Ravens do, right? 100%. And you, you hit it right in the head. The DNA is win at the point of attack. In, in the 17-game season, the Ravens outrushed their opponents 16 times. The only team to outrush them was the Steelers. And even in that game, the Ravens had 125 yards rushing. So they are going to establish the run. That's job one on the offense because the passing game revolves around that. And it's not, it's not, it hasn't been a very explosive passing game except for the tight end position. Here's what makes the Ravens passing game unique. It's the only NFL passing game this year that has fewer completions to the wide receivers than the tight ends and running backs. Only wow. one. Wow. So it's not a novelty or a fluke that even with Mark Andrews out, Charlie Kohler, Isaiah Likely get a lot of balls. That's just the design of the offense. It's run first, play action, tight end is primary, running backs and wide receivers are secondary. Defensively, it has been this way since John Harbaugh got here. Job one, stop the run, make the opponent one-dimensional. Now against a lot of teams, say the Atlanta Falcons who have a rookie quarterback or even the Pittsburgh Steelers who have a young quarterback who's starting to emerge, that can be a huge thing. It's not as huge to me against the Bengals. Because when you make Joe Burrow one-dimensional, so what? His one-dimension is so flipping good, it's a fright show. So you have to stop the run game because if you don't, it's over. But even when you stop the run game of the Bengals, we saw Sunday. Joe Burrow throws such perfect balls. When everybody knows he's going to throw the ball, it's tough to stop. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you about Roquan Smith because he's getting a lot of buzz here. You know, it appeared – and videos, you know, videos are videos, but things, there are always circumstances, but it looked like he was celebrating as such injury. When medical people were out taking care of Bengals guys that were down, you know, he was doing a dance or whatever. And, and the Bengal fans are up in arms about Roquan Smith. And I've, I've always heard that, you know, he's kind of a real pros pro, a very quiet guy, a very, uh, you know, um, it, I, I, that would be out of character, I guess, is my point. What can you enlighten me on that? Yeah, I haven't talked to Roquan uh, since Sunday, but I can tell you that he's not a guy who's celebrating injuries. What you have to know about Roquan Smith is, so this is a game where a lot of people are wondering, is is something on the line? Isn't there something on the line? Roquan Smith's career high, 17 tackles. He had 16 tackles last Sunday in that game. He was setting a tone for the defense that this game matters. And he wanted everybody playing like it was already a playoff game. Because what has happened since he's arrived, he has become the soul and the center and the spirit of this defense. He was providing leadership. I can promise you, if there was an injury, he would not celebrate the injury. He was trying to fire up his players and was not aware of the injury. One of the things I like about Roquan Smith is they call him an old soul. He's a guy who, Dave, he would have played well in your era. He would have played well in my dad's era in the 50s, and he'd play well 30 years from now. He is just a football player. If he were a Bengal, you'd love this guy because he's all work. He's all joy. Remember uh, watching Magic Johnson play in his first NBA finals and he's bringing the ball down court. He's got a big grin on his face. Right. And I remember thinking, man, here's the most pressure situation in the world. And this guy's having fun. That's Roquan Smith. The more the pressure, the more fun he's having and the more he's elevating everybody around him. So from an opponent's perspective, sure, I understand it. That, that's the nature of football. 
But when you see Roquan Smith celebrating, he is A, having fun. B, he's trying to elevate the players around him. And if there is an injury, I can promise you he's not aware of it. So what was the reaction to uh, Joe Mixon's celebration about, you know, the coin toss, you know, uh, taking the coin out and then kick it? What was, this, what was the uh, reaction in Baltimore? Of course, here in Cincinnati, oh, man, was, everybody's loving it. You know, it was great. What was the reaction in Baltimore? Look, I, I, honestly, I, none of the players commented on it. Yeah. And I can't speak for anybody else, but I'll be perfectly frank with you. When I saw that, I thought, damn, that's creative. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. That's Joe Mixon. I was like, hey, somebody put some thought into that. And yep. and and I it, I it speaks to Joe Mixon's confidence. For him to carry the coin with him, he yep. knew he was getting in the end zone. He had it all planned out. And so uh, every once in a while, you got to stop and just tip your cap to somebody and say, well played, my man, well played. <laughs> Let, let's hit uh, very briefly here. Um, don't want to uh, diminish the importance of the all-important third phase, special teams. And you got the greatest kicker that's ever laced them up. And you're in the top 10 in every major category, the four categories of special teams. No surprise, you know, John Harbaugh cut his teeth in that regard. Your special teams every single year seem to be just – so well put together and contributes so heavily. Yeah, it's a focus. I mean, it's a focus from day one. And and you touched on it. It's it's a third. It's offense, defense, and special teams. For some teams, I think special teams are 15%, 10%, an afterthought. They know it's important, but they don't devote the time to it. The Ravens devote the time to it. They devote the time to it in training camp. They devote the time to it throughout the course of the season. They have guys on their team that make the team because of special teams. I mean – I think of Tylen Wallace. He wears number 16. He's a, he's a fourth-string wide receiver. He's a guy yeah. who's had, I think, four catches. Doesn't see a whole lot of action except on special teams. And he missed some time on injured reserve. As soon as they got him off injured reserve, they juggled the roster because he's so valuable to them as a special teams player. The other thing they do is the Ravens don't shy away from using star players on special teams. You'll see Roquan Smith on some of yeah. the special teams. Yeah, You'll see Calais Campbell making big plays. You'll see star players have pivotal roles. And what that does culturally is if you're a first or second year player and you see Roquan Smith on a special team, you recognize, oh, that matters around here. And it elevates everybody's play. Mm. While we're talking about special teams, don't overlook the fact that your punter, Chrisman, was the guy I thought, Justin Tucker from 51 and Chrisman's punting, to me, those were the special teams plays in week 18 because he flipped the field on the Ravens and buried them inside the 10 a couple of times. Yep. You do that to a rookie quarterback, you are making a special special teams play. No question, because that that's part of the DNA, I think, of the Baltimore Ravens. They're going to put you on a long field and try to enjoy short fields. Obviously, uh, the thing that the, the Ravens can uh, talk about, and, and it's definitely true, we hurt ourselves as much as the Bengals hurt us. I mean, the, the turnovers, obviously, you know, two two fumbles, two interceptions, two stops on fourth down, six possessions, and without a punt, extra point or field goal. I mean, that's tough to overcome in the National Football League. Yeah, and don't forget you had a couple of drop touchdowns too. Yeah, true. And and that's the thing that with, with Joe Burrow that I think you have to, as an opponent, always be so aware of. You can say it was an 11-point game. If this, like, no, no, no. Every week's a new game. And with Joe Burrow, you just have to be aware that he can flip a game in your direction with literally flick of the wrist. I yeah. mean, 
the, the and nothing against T Higgins, but that should have been a touchdown. Yep. He had another yep. ball that, that should have been a touchdown. He had a couple of critical drops that like, it's not the end of the world in an 11 point win, but if it's in a playoff game, those become a big deal because if you don't capitalize, everybody knows you get five plays that dictate the outcome of the game. If you drop two or three of those, that can change the direction of the game. As the Ravens defense comes in, they cannot and they will not depend on that happening again. They're going to presume that if Burrow drops a dime, it gets caught. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the other thing about about Burrow is showed his athleticism, the Houdini uh, making people miss pocket manipulation. I thought the Ravens got very good pressure with four people, you know, and they were they were they were collapsing the pocket a little bit. And Joe had to had to show some fancy footwork as such, be a little Houdini-like uh, in, in terms of, you know, creating space in the pocket or getting out of the pocket and, and doing some things. I, I thought the Ravens have to be encouraged by the four-man pass rush they got. Yeah, I would agree. First, on the Burrow athleticism, man, I was I was blown away. I mean, I knew he was a great athlete, but yeah. his nimbleness. Yeah. The one play that struck me was he avoided an Adafi Owe sack twice on the same play. He went right. pirouette right. And yeah. then Pierre went left and stepped yeah. over him. You know, again, tip of the hat, because that, that was an amazing play on his part. What I'm going to look for this week on the Sunday night game is how much the Ravens used the rookie David Ajabo, number 90. Had only played one snap this season on defense prior to the game last Sunday. And I love the pressure he brought in off the edge. He's got spin moves. He was he was a great pass rusher at Michigan. We you know We've only seen the college tape on him. We finally saw some game tape. And he's impressive. Now, how much they're going to rely on a pretty green rookie in a playoff game, that's to be seen. But to me, he was a big part of that four-man pressure package. Your dad would have been proud of uh, Joe Burrow's uh, moves. Dan look, yeah, look at the dance moves. moves. Your dad had those feet, those light feet, man, the dancing machine that he that he was. Let's get you out of here on this one, Jerry. You you, you mentioned, okay, Ojabo, that's – what other things? Give me Jerry Sandusky's three keys, musts, or things you're looking for as you approach this football game. So to me, uh, obviously, first and foremost, is win both run games. And that means the Ravens have to outrush the Bengals, and they got to stop the, the Bengals' run game. Yep. And they, and if, if they do that, check one, to me, check two becomes time of possession. I, I think for the Ravens to win, they've got to dominate time of possession. And then three is something I thought they did a really good job of Sunday. They've got to do a better job of this week. They have to force the Bengals to try to put together long, methodical drives. They cannot give Joe Burrow that five-play drive that he ends with a 55-yard touchdown pass. Right, right. Because that ignites your crowd. It ignites your sidelines. And it just changes the course of the game. They have to do more of what we saw. Make them go 15 plays and settle for a field goal. So the third key to me is long drives force a stall in the red zone. That, to me, is the winning formula for the Ravens. Win the run games. Win the turnover battle. Let's not yeah. lose sight of that one. You guys crushed right. us in the turnover last week. You, right. can't go, you can't go on the road in the playoffs and be minus three in turnovers and then long, patient drives that force a stall in the red zone from the Ravens' defense against the Bengals' offense. That, to me, would be the winning formula. Good stuff, as always, sir. Appreciate you carving time. You are a pro's pro, and uh, I know that uh, the city of Baltimore thinks the world of you, and rightfully so. Well, always great visiting with you, buddy, and uh, hey, we're going to do it again. I'll be right back there, so I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Look forward to it, too. Travel safely. Dave Lapham here, and every day I am grateful for my experience to have played professional football. 
As a player, I realized self-motivation, leadership, and appreciating your teammates are key. At First Star Logistics, you can use those same attributes to create the life you want for you and your family. Build your future by working hard like I did. You'll see results both on and off the field. Call First Star Logistics today and be part of our winning team.